0: Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them from life's first cry
1: to final breath jesus commands my destiny so father god please help us this morning to see ourselves and our lives in the light of your word in jesus name amen Please do have a seat, and um, can I start by asking you, how valued do you feel, and what makes you feel valued? Let Let me give you a moment to come up with an answer in your mind. How valued do you feel, and what makes you feel valued? I guess maybe you've been thinking about the people who love you uh, or the work you do that makes your life seem worthwhile or something else. More and more, it seems our society is making people feel that they don't have value because of the story that it's telling about human beings. So wind the clock back and our society used to believe in the sanctity of life, our topic, this morning that is just jargon for the way that God has uniquely made human beings for a unique place in his creation. But more and more as you know our society is telling the story that there is no God and that uh, you and I are just a random collection of chemicals brought together by evolution. So one writer says this, what is a human being? The answer is fat enough to make seven bars of soap, iron enough to make one nail, sugar enough for seven cups of tea, lime enough to whitewash one garden shed, magnesium enough for one dose of salts, phosphorus enough to tip 2,000 matches, and sulfur enough to treat one dog for fleas, which at today's prices comes to 43 pounds. That's your value. But even with all the messages around us saying things like that, most people deep down believe that we are more than that. And the Bible says that deep down belief is right. So would you turn in the Bibles uh, to page 1, the easiest turn to do. Page 1 and Genesis chapter 1. We're going to dip a few parts of the Bible. First of all, page 1. Genesis chapter 1, and uh, we'll ask the question, first of all, what does the Bible say about human life? So look down to Genesis 1 verse 1, which simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then comes the creation of everything up to the animals, and if you skip to verse 26, 26, it says... Then God said, let us make man, which means mankind, men and women, in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, or you can translate that as the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. So we humans are unique because we are created to be God's images. So here, for example, um, is an image of my children. Uh, An image is something that represents the original. So this one gives you some idea what they're like. But it's, it's not a great image because they're living people. And the image isn't living or personal. But Genesis 1 says, you and I are God's living personal images made to represent him. So the idea is that if you are living how God wants you to, I can look at you and see in you something of what God is like and vice versa. But that involves being able to relate to God and have the same sense of right and wrong as God has. And so that's how God has made us and wired us up which makes us uniquely different. So you and I share 98% of the the genetic information uh, with a chimpanzee. But that doesn't make you 98% chimpanzee. Doesn't make you a souped up chimpanzee. You are uniquely different. And that's why God values human life uh, uniquely and calls us to value and respect and protect it. So turn on to Genesis chapter 9 now. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6 is uh, the next stop. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. This is after sin has entered the picture when human beings will be tempted to kill other human beings who get in their way. And so look at Genesis 9, verse 6, where God says, Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So that's saying God values human life so highly that he even sanctions the death penalty against those who take human life. I won't go into that. But just look at the end of verse 6. Why does God value human life so highly? For God made man, men and women, in his own image. Which means he sees any assault on your life as an assault on him. It's like if you're a parent and you're over in the park later and another kid comes and hits your child. You see that, you feel that. As an assault on you because they're your children they're bound up with you and that's how God sees us and so then he enshrined uh, in the ten commandments this sanctity of life where he says you shall not murder in other words shall not intentionally kill an innocent fellow human Well, let's turn to one more place for what the Bible says about human life. Could you turn on to page 521, page 521 and Psalm 139, which we had read earlier. So 521 and Psalm 139. So I take it from the heading that King David wrote this. And he's talking about his relationship with God. So verse 1, he says, "O oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar, and so on. So he's saying God knows all about us. You know, even what we're thinking. How long is this sermon going to last? Where did he get that haircut? Uh. <laughs> and if you look on to verse 7, it makes David ask God... It, where can I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? In other words, is, is there anywhere that I can go where, where God isn't there, where he isn't relating to me, where he isn't involved in my life? And the answer he comes up with is no. And then David thinks back, all the way back to when he was in his mother's womb. And he wonders, was God even there relating to him and involved in his unborn life? We'll look over the page to verse 13, where David says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb, which of course is picture language. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Now, they didn't know all the science we know. They didn't have the centre of life, but they knew a bit. And the original word there for unformed substance, substance was their word for the early fetus in the womb read on he says in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them so David is saying God's relating to him God's involvement with him went right back to the womb and by implication you've got to say right back to conception and verse 16 is then saying even at that stage God had a plan and a purpose for his whole life to come And the same can be said of each of us. So Psalm 139 says, we each have value because of what we are. Namely, individually made by God in his image. Whereas the message we often get is that we only have value because of what we do. So that the less we can do, the less value we have. Like that little girl Shalomi. That's why the special needs, or handicapped, or elderly person can feel so unvalued. Or the other message you often get is that unborn children only have value if their parents place value on them. So I remember my wife Tess and I had twins first time round, and one thing our twins' midwife did in the antenatal classes was to take us around the special care baby unit at the RVI in case we ended up there, which we did for one night. And it was amazing to see those premature, tiny little ones being cared for. Uh, But this midwife, who's a good friend and a Christian, I remember her saying, the tragedy is that just the other side of that wall, they're getting rid of babies of the same age. And the only difference is whether their parents place any value on them or not. But the Bible says God places value on all human life so that it's intrinsically valuable. So we each have God-given value, and Psalm 139 says we also each have God-given purpose. We each share in the human family's purpose of imaging God. And God has a unique plan for the part that each of us will play in that. So, for example, friends of mine have got two daughters and the second has Down's syndrome. That was an enormous shock and it took a huge adjustment for them. But a few years back, the mum, Helen, said to me, I would not swap Emma for anything, not only because of the, the way that she loves in her own particular way, but because of the way it is drawn out of us, an unconditional love that I didn't think that I was capable of. In other words... We're imaging God together in a way that would have been beyond us if Emma had not been the way that she is. That's something on what does the Bible say about human life. So next question, how does this apply to the beginning of life? This is where I have to mention abortion. I realize that will be part of some people's experience here. So the first thing I want to say is that If you have not discovered that that can be forgiven through Jesus, it can be. And if you have discovered and trusted that it can be forgiven through Jesus, you need to keep trusting that, that it's forgiven through the cross, just like all the other sins of all your fellow sinners, including me. We are on level ground here today. I'm not, so let me come down here to, to say this. We have all sinned differently, but that's irrelevant. We've all sinned. But when it comes to the choice of abortion, which our society offers, we need to ask, how should we view the embryo or fetus, and so how should we treat it? Some people, as you know, want to say it's not until some later stage that we should view it as actually human, and therefore uh, give it the respect and the protection and the care that that calls for. For example, some say the stage of viability out of the womb. But as that story that I told you about the, uh, the special care baby unit illustrates, that's a, that's a, a difficult one. Biologically, the point at which a genetically new individual life comes about is conception. And from then on, there there are just no comparable step changes. That's a step change, new individual. There are no comparable step changes. It's just the continual development of that new individual. And biblically, the passages we've seen today and others that we haven't, they point the same way, that human life starts at conception and therefore, uh, it calls for the care and respect and value that implies from conception. So, one question of care is, obviously, how can we help people continue with pregnancies rather than end them? Part of what helps is to talk about the unborn baby as fully human, as a human being, because we all know, in all circumstances, when we're under pressure, And we want to tell ourselves the course of action is okay. And in this one, when people feel abortion is the only way out, they can can tell themselves that what's inside them is, is, is less than that. Deep down, they will sense that that is not true. And we can strengthen that conviction that it's not true by talking about that unborn one as a fully human being. But the biggest thing is understanding the huge fears and pressures that make people feel that is the only way out and providing help. So for example, in one survey, the three most common reasons people gave for considering abortion were lack of confidence that they could cope and be a mother, uh, fear that they would have no support, and pressure from others not to have the baby. And where we can help as individuals and as a church we need to be the answer to those concerns to be able to say, actually, that's okay, we're here. And various churches in Newcastle support the Tyneside Pregnancy and Advice Centre. That's only one tiny piece of that jigsaw, but you or people you know might like to know about that centre or might l- like to volunteer to help in it. But as well as unwanted pregnancies, there's also the issue of problems in wanted pregnancies, and the whole culture of antenatal screening is making that more and more of an issue. So I, I remember our second scan with the twins. If you have twins, you are, you are scanned much. And I remember being asked at, at whatever stage it is, did we want the Nucle test done, which picks up things like Down syndrome. And I said with slight trepidation, no, because it wouldn't make any difference to what we do. Um, because we believe that actually we should care for whatever children we're given. And I wondered what response that would get, whether she would think uh, I was naive or irresponsible. What she actually said, and, and this particular senior sonographer became a very good friend over the many weeks, she said, I'm always glad when parents say that. Always glad when parents say that. But there is going to be more pressure, subtle or unsubtle, to have more tests and to abort more babies with problems. And I know people here who've uh, been encouraged to abort babies with, frankly, trivial problems, medically speaking. But we need to accept the mystery, and it is a mystery, that God's plan does include babies, and therefore children and adults with disabilities and difficulties. And that somehow, that does help us together to image God in ways that we couldn't otherwise have done. We have to accept that mystery. Lastly, a brief word on how does this apply to the end of life. Just look at Psalm 139, verse 16 again. It says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God had a plan for every day of David's life to come, including when his last day would be. The Bible says God is in control of everything, from our conception to our death, like that that song we sung, life's first cry to final breath. Whereas the secular message, obviously, is that there is no God in control, so that we have to take control of our lives as best we can. And euthanasia and the call for it is, is driven by the thought that we should, we should even take control of our own death. And as with people considering abortion, we need to understand the huge fears and pressures that push people towards ending their own lives. One palliative doctor mentions four main things, fear of pain, fear of indignity, fear of dependence, and the social pressure, especially, not to be a burden. On that last one, he says, quote, perhaps the greatest pressure on the sick and the elderly is the secular idea that there is a life that is not worthy of being lived. Whereas the Bible tells us that our value is in what we are, not in what we do or can do. And that part of our share in the human family's purpose of imaging God may be, at least at times, to be a significant burden which calls others to step up and to rise to and carry that burden. And to be honest, we are all burdens to some extent all the time to those around us. That is life, not just death. So the application to the end of life is that we're not to try to take control of our own deaths. That is God's territory. But on the other hand, we're not to try to stay alive or keep others alive at all costs with treatment where the burden outweighs the benefits uh, that makes for agonizing decisions, as some of you will know, perhaps looking after elderly parents, uh, especially when it 's decisions on behalf of others, like Charlie Gard in the news at the moment. But for others and for ourselves, there will come a point where we have to accept the situation is we 're now in the process of dying and Treatment is not going to avert that or change that. It's just going to manage that. So, for example, the senior minister of my last church was Mark Ashton. He was diagnosed with cancer at a stage too late for treatment, and he was told he might live another six to nine months. Um, He actually uh, lived a good deal longer than that and died on Easter Saturday, which everyone thought, that's just typical Ashton, brilliant timing to die between... Good Friday and the cross and Easter Sunday and the resurrection. Of course, he didn't choose that. But he wrote a little booklet called On My Way to Heaven in his last months. And he said this, I don't think it wrong to seek healing, but I've not particularly wanted that for myself. I've not wanted expensive courses of chemotherapy that for me could have promised only an extra few months of life at best. He says, here is one area where Christians have a wonderful opportunity to stand out from our culture. Our contemporaries are obsessed with healing and the extension of physical life at all costs. And it's a pity if we Christians imitate them in that. I'm out of time. Um, The sanctity of life is a huge topic. Um, There are lots of things that I've not even touched on, like embryo research, fertility treatment, how British abortion law needs to be changed, the need to oppose the legalizing of euthanasia, the dangers of the medics among us being pressured to go against their consciences, and so on. But here's the big lesson. The big lesson is that you and I and everyone around us is worth infinitely more than that £43 shopping list of chemicals. We have been individually created by God to relate to him and to be his image. Which means that whatever value others or society place on you, even as the fallen and flawed person you are, you can echo those words of Psalm 139 and say to the Lord, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that even though we are fallen and floored by sin and marked by mortality, we can say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you for the double value that you have placed on us, first in making us in your image, to relate to you, to represent you on this earth, and then in sending your own son to give up his life for our forgiveness. Father, help us to receive our value and purpose from you by faith. Help us to recognize your value and purpose in everyone else. And help us to speak and live this vision of what it is to be human so that our society hears the true story. In Jesus' name, amen.